Westgate. How's everybody doing? Come on, let's worship together. Let's get those hands moving. Come on. the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout Shout out. 
gets us through everything in front of us. Come on. Keeper of the day and the night. Holder of the sun in the sky. You command the waters and the wind. And there's not one thing you're not greater than. Greater than the mountain that's in front of me, you are greater, so much greater, greater than the power of the enemy, you are greater, so much greater. challenges in our lives. Thank you. No guilt, no shame, no sin, no stain is greater than the great I am. No fear, no grave, no other name is greater than the great I am. Sing that, no guilt. No guilt, no shame.
going now? Sing it. church family. How are you today? It is good to be worshiping together. You may be seated. Uh, if you are new here to Westgate, I want to introduce myself. My name is Rob Zerman. I am the lead pastor here at uh, Westgate, and I'm just super excited that you've chosen to worship with us today. And uh, we've got a really great morning of worship that is planned, and so I hope that it's special for you. I want to encourage you, if you would, to take a moment and fill out a connection card that you'll see in the pew in front of you. Uh, regular attenders, again, this is a great way to keep your information up to date with the church. Helps us in communication, but also also, and most importantly, if there are any prayer needs that you have, we would love for you to write those on that connection card and turn it in uh, during our offering uh, in the service this morning. Uh, again, it is a great opportunity for us as a church family to be able to pray for you and for your needs. And for those of you that are guests as well, the same goes, uh, but it is really also a great first way to begin the process of getting connected uh, here at Westgate. We won't put you on endless email chains and all that sort of thing, but uh, we would love for you to take just a moment, fill out that card. And at the close of the service, rather than dropping it in the offering bucket, we'd actually invite you to take it out to our guest center. And uh, there you can exchange it for a small gift that we have just to say thank you for being here. But then also uh, our hosts that are there would love to answer any questions you might have about getting connected at Westgate, about our various ministries uh, and that sort of thing. So please be sure uh, to stop by and uh, check that out uh, as well. Uh, there are a number of things that are going on around the church, ways to get connected and be involved. And as always, we always say the best way to be connected with what is going on is through your phone with our Westgate Chapel app. And if you don't have that app, I would encourage you to go to your app store. You can search Westgate Chapel Toledo. Uh, make sure you put Toledo. You're going to end up with a church in like Seattle. So uh, put that in. Uh, you can download that app, but it will tell you about all the different things that are going on. It also gives you the opportunity to register directly uh, for any events. You can sign your kids in for kids ministry, all sorts of great things. So please be sure to check that out. But two things I want to highlight this morning that are coming up uh, that we think are great and important opportunities for connection. The first one is our Campus Care Day. On April 1st, uh, we're going to have a Campus Care Day. This is a great opportunity for us as a church family and for you as a family or individual to come on out and to serve. And uh, one of the things that we're going to be doing is kind of cleaning up the grounds as we uh, move into the spring season. 
And uh, in the past when we have held these, it's been a great opportunity for families to serve together. But even more importantly, what I love is the testimonies and stories that have come out of people that were newer to the church that found connection and community because they came to opportunities like this, not just to serve, but then also to begin to meet people and get into community. And so we would love for you to come out and join us again. That's going to be happening on Saturday, April 1st from 9 a.m. to noon, uh, just three short hours, and uh, we would love for you to join us. Uh, another opportunity for connection, women. Uh, I know we just had our very own conference that happened here at the church a few weeks ago, but also uh, we have got another potential conference coming up that you could be a part of. Uh, we are a part of what is called the Great Lakes District, uh, our district within the Christian Missionary Alliance, our denomination, and our district is actually putting on a retreat, a spring retreat that is happening uh, the last weekend in April. And uh, one of the great things about that retreat is that one of our very own Sarah Carey is going to be one of the speakers at that. And so if you would like to be a part of that or would like more in, uh, information about it, we would encourage you to go to our website or you can go straight to our app uh, uh, and you can check out all of the information, not only about when it's happening and what is going on, but also how you can get registered for that retreat. So please be sure uh, to check that out. With that being said, we want to take a moment before we continue in our worship to stand and greet one another and welcome each other to the service. So find three people that you have not said hello to yet this morning. serve a mighty God? You believe that? Than ever 
Lord Jesus, our words are just barely adequate to convey our worship of you. Holy, holy, holy are you, the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the universe. You are sovereign, Father God. You see, you're the God who sees. You see and meet each of our individual needs. Lord, I thank you that no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in this morning, we can stand on the promises of your word. We can look in our lives. We can look at all the stories in your word that remind us of your faithfulness and your loving kindness towards each of your children, Father. Thank you that you are our provider. Lord, would you open our eyes and our hearts and our ears this morning to hear from you so that we can just continue to reflect you more every day for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're on the center aisle, if you could just pass those um, tithing buckets to the outside edge. Um, if you're a guest this morning, just let that pass right by you so that our family can um, worship in this way. Thank you so much. church family. It is good to be together again and uh, to have the opportunity to worship the Lord together. Thank you uh, so much again for joining us this morning. Uh, as you know, we have been going, uh, just begun last week, a new series uh, that we are going through that is going to lead us all the way up to Easter and uh, something that I'm super excited about. And so before we dive uh, into our message in that series this morning, I just want to remind you that as Easter is approaching, we've got roughly a month uh, lead up here to Easter. Uh, one of the great opportunities that, that is given to us with Easter is the opportunity to think about who are the people that God has placed in my life, that he has put in my circles, my neighbors, if you will, uh, not just neighbors like next door, but who are the people that God has brought into my life that don't know him and that yet I might be able to invite. You know, Easter is that one of two seasons a year where a lot of people are like, hey, I go to church for that reason, and it really can provide an open door for us to share the gospel with people. And so as we approach Easter, you know, we've been talking about our five-year vision as a church, and part of that five-year vision is our desire to reach our neighbors, our personal neighbors, each of us individually, the God, people that God has put in our lives, but also uh, corporately. And so I want to encourage you to be thinking about who is it that God has put in your life that needs to hear the good news of his son, maybe even that is already searching for answers. And uh, I want you to think about uh, inviting them to come and to join us for our Easter services. Uh, our Easter services this year, uh, again, are, are the same as last year. We've got an awesome 
Good Friday service that is being planned. Uh, that Friday before Easter, it'll be at 7 p.m. here at the church, about an hour long and great for the entire family, all ages. We would love for you uh, to come to that and invite people to come with you, but also as well, we have our two Easter services that will happen on Easter Sunday morning on the 9th, uh, one at, again, 9 a.m. and 10.45, normal service times. Uh, the only difference will be that they're about an hour in length, uh, each of those services, uh, which creates more time in the middle because we're going to be having an awesome connecting time uh, over in our atrium, a time for people to uh, talk, have a little bit of food, get connected, uh, and also an Easter egg hunt for the kids that will be happening out in our uh, parking lot, weather permitting. And so we would love for you to not only come, but think about those people that God uh, would have you to invite uh, that morning so that they can hear the good news of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, as you leave today and exit, some of our ushers are going to be standing uh, at the exits as you go, and they're going to be handing out a couple of invite cards to each person. Uh, we would love for you to take those and just use those as an opportunity to invite people to come uh, and to join us that morning. So please be sure to grab those at the close of our service today and uh, be thinking and praying about who God would have you invite. Now, as I said, we've been going through a series together that we began last week. It's entitled Last Words. And we are taking a look at the last words of Jesus from the cross. And last week I shared with you a number of different last words that people think Famous people throughout uh, history have said their last words before they were to die. Uh, some of them uh, were heartfelt. Some of them were rather interesting and even funny. Uh, and as I was preparing for this morning, I began thinking about uh, just uh, the one opportunity really that if in all of my memory of being able to experience a person's last words. Uh, my grandfather a number of years ago passed away and I was given that privilege and opportunity to be present with him in his time where he spoke his last words. Now, if you knew anything about my grandfather, uh, on my mom's side, his name was Erwin. He was a German through and through. He loved everything about his heritage. Uh, but one of the things is that he loved his family deeply. He especially loved to uh, embarrass our family at every opportunity that, that provided itself. Oftentimes, as a young boy, we'd walk as an entire huge family unit uh, into a restaurant that would be incredibly crowded, and he would just stand there and start barking like a dog as loud as he possibly could. Why to this day, I still don't know. There was just, so he found such joy in seeing us so embarrassed uh, at, at what he was doing. Um, but as well, uh, one of the things that I loved about my grandfather was not only how much he loved us as a family, family was so important, but whenever we would gather, I loved to listen to him pray. And I've shared this with you before. When he would pray, he would pray in like the most beautiful King James prayers that you felt like you were literally entering into the very throne room of God as he prayed. It was beautiful. But the thing that I remember from the time that I was young till I was older, like I couldn't wait for grandpa to pray at our family meals together because it told me something so deep about his faith in Jesus Christ and how much he loved the Lord. Well, it was a number of years ago now that uh, I had the opportunity to head back home to Long Beach. Uh, Rochelle and I and our family were living here, and I was going back for a conference. But going in, I knew that my grandfather was uh, going to be passing soon. He was uh, 94 years old. His health uh, had been getting worse. My family had told me that he really hadn't been awake much in over a week. He was in, uh, in, a, in a home, and uh, they told me that the time was probably soon. And so I knew that on this trip, it would be my last opportunity to be with him. I can remember when I walked into the room with my sister, 
And I kind of got up next to grandpa's bedside. I kind of gave him a little shake on the arm and spoke into his ear. And immediately his eyes opened up and he looked at me and he was probably like the most alert he had been in weeks. My sister literally told me afterwards, she goes, he, I, I have not seen anything like that. Like he has literally been asleep for uh, unending for over a week. And uh, as she shared that with me, we, we sat there together talking and grandpa, like when he woke up and he started engaging, he was so excited to see me and he began to talk about like uh, asking me all sorts of questions. His mind was incredibly sharp. Like he was asking how Rochelle was doing at the hospital and how Garrett was doing playing baseball and Riley and Gracie and all of their activities. And like he just wanted to know how the family was. He cared so much about that. And as our time began to wind down and I knew that it was gonna be time for me to leave, I just had this guilt over me. Like I hadn't been present for a number of years and I'd moved to Ohio and I couldn't really be there and be present with him in his last years. And, and so I just kind of sheepishly said, well, Grandpa, I'm going to have to go. I've got to go back to Ohio and tell people about Jesus. And I knew that it would be the last time that I saw him. My grandfather reached out and he grabbed my hand and with the strength of a 50, 40-year-old man, gripped it as tight as he could. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, I love you. You go and you preach the gospel. And those are the last things that he said to me. And in that moment, it told me some of the most powerful things that I ever knew about my grandfather, about how much he loved us with all of his heart, but how deeply he loved the Lord. And he knew exactly where he was going. It was later that night that I got a call uh, that he wasn't doing well. And I was able to go to the hospital and be there, though he did not re-wake up after that moment and he went to be with the Lord. But it was one of the sweetest moments of my life to celebrate what God had done in his life and the faith that had been passed on to me. You see, when we talk about last words, when we talk about last words, we're talking about things that tell us a lot about who a person is and what is most important to them. And as we go through this series and we think about Jesus' last words from the cross, when we listen to his last words, they tell us about who Jesus was and what was truly most important to him. As we were, got into this series last week and we looked at the first phrase of Jesus from the cross, you'll remember that Jesus was being led to the cross where he would be crucified. And we talked about the fact that crucifixion was a means to what they would call complete public humiliation of an individual. The Roman government had, had created this form of putting someone to death in order to bring them to the lowest point humanly possible so that the people that were watching that might consider following in their footsteps or continuing to follow them would be completely despondent and have no thought of continuing in the direction that that person had gone. But it was also meant to strike fear into the very hearts of the populace to say, don't you ever cross us because this could be what could happen to you. And so Jesus goes through this complete public humiliation, beginning with a public trial that was meant to bring him to his lowest point and humiliate him in public. He was flogged to the point that he wasn't recognizable. He was given a public death, being crucified on a cross with insults and mocking being hurled at him, people spitting at him, gambling for his clothes at his feet. And if you can only imagine what it would have been like, we talked about this last week, imagine what it would have been like to be in that moment, to be that person, and the first words out of Jesus' mouth are what? Father, forgive them. So astounding. 
that he could go through all of that at the hands of these people, having done nothing wrong, and the first words out of his mouth are, Father, forgive them. And we said that last week there are really two things that we learn from Jesus' first statement from the cross, that we learn about him, but also what is most important to him. And it was this, one, that we need to be people who receive his forgiveness, that he went to that cross and he died that death so that you and I could be reconciled to God. That is the sole purpose of his death. But number two, that his desire is that as his followers, we would also show God's love towards others in the way that we forgive them in the same way that God has forgiven us through Jesus Christ. And so he calls on us to emulate that type of love and forgiveness in the way that we deal with those who have sinned or wronged us. Now, as we move into our passage this morning, we're going to continue to take a look at the next statement that Jesus utters from the cross. It's a literal continuation from where we left off last week. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to Luke chapter 23, and uh, we'll begin looking in verse 39. Now, uh, as you are turning there, I encourage you as well to pull out your sermon notes. You can use them to follow along this morning. But what we see as we pick up where we left off is that there are two criminals that the passage tells us, and we saw this at the very beginning of the passage last week, is that there are two criminals that are hung on either side of Jesus as he is being crucified, themselves being crucified for the things that they have done. But the interesting thing is that there are these two criminals, but they have two very different responses to Jesus. Now, there were a lot of similarities between these criminals, both of them created by God himself, both of them living a life where in this world they were trying to find their own sense of purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment that no doubt had led them to a life of either being thieves or criminals or maybe even political people that were trying to, uh, to go against Rome. We don't know exactly the situation, but whatever it is that they did, they found themselves in the same place with the greatest most difficult, most horrific punishment that Rome had to offer out. And so these two criminals have a lot of things in common as they hang here on this cross about to die. But that's where the, different, where the similarities split. And there's a remarkable difference in how they respond to Jesus. I want us to take a look here at the first criminal as we read together in Luke chapter 23, verse 39. Here's what it says. It says that one of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, it's interesting when we read this passage that this criminal, the first one that we see hanging on this cross, kind of partakes with everybody else that is there. The religious leaders that are at the foot of the cross, the Roman guards, the people that are passing by, as we talked about, uh, crucifixion would have been a very public thing, maybe on a hilltop or even by a road where people would be passing by. And it would not be uncommon for people to hurl insults on those who are being crucified, for people to be spitting on them. And it says that this criminal, criminal himself begins to participate with those who aren't being crucified and hurling insults at Jesus himself. And he looks at him and he says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And what we learn about this criminal as we read these words is that rather than fear God, he makes a mockery of God's instrument of salvation. Rather than fear God, he makes a mockery of God's instrument for salvation. And I want you to think about this. What do we mean when we say that he 
had no fear of God. Uh, if I were to try to explain the fear of God to you, a lot of times when we think of this, uh, when we think of the word fear, we think that fear is about being afraid of something to the point that we might run away from it and try to escape from it because it will do some sort of harm to us. But the fear of the Lord, as we see in the Old and the New Testament, is different. Um, if I were to use an example to try to explain it to you, I was watching a show uh, over the past uh, like month or month and a half uh, called Special Forces. Has anybody watched that show at all? Do you know what I'm talking about? The Special Forces show was basically where they took uh, a bunch of famous people, actors, actresses, sports figures, and they take them out into this desert uh, out in the Middle East, and they are basically taking them through the training that a U.S. Special Forces unit would have to go through in order to make the team, uh, and they're gr grilling them. They've got drill sergeants that are there, and I, one of the things that was most captivating about this is watching these people who have all the money, all the power, who tell people what to do, answer to nobody, all of a sudden have that stripped from them, and and they have to actually listen to somebody. It was intriguing to watch. I remember one of the episodes in particular that is an in, one of these uh, actresses was sitting here and the drill sergeants were really getting into them for something that they did wrong. Uh, they were just yelling at them and getting on them and they just had this sly smile across their face and began to laugh and the drill sergeant just started to go off even more, get more angry, put them into heavy punishment. And what I thought was so interesting is that this individual is their sitting here listening, had no fear of the person that had authority over them. You see, they had no respect for the authority that had been placed over them. And because of that, there was no humility in their response to that authority. When we talk about the fear of the Lord and we're looking in scripture, what we're saying is, is that when we fear God, there is a respect for the authority that he has as the creator of all things, the all-powerful, almighty God, the one who is in control of all things, that nothing in this world happens outside of his hand allowing it, the one who is the holy God, who there is no sin in him, who is above and beyond all things. When we fear God, it's not that we're afraid and we run, but there is a deep respect for the authority of who he is and also a response of humility where we not only see who God is, but we see ourselves in our own proper light as being under his authority. And when we talk about the fear of the Lord and we think about this uh, criminal that hangs on the cross who has no fear of God, but rather continually mocks Jesus, what we also see is that the fear of God in the Bible is often contrasted with having a hardened heart. And here's the interesting thing. This criminal that hangs on the cross, his hardened heart's only concern is this. What can you do for me now, Jesus? What can you do for me now? You see, as he hangs on this cross, he has an understanding of his need for salvation. But it's a warped understanding of that need. His focus and his desire is how he can get down off of that cross. Right or wrong, praise or blame, good or bad, is of no consequence to him. He doesn't care who Jesus is. His only desire is to save his own skin. And he has absolutely no remorse or awareness of the wrong things that he's done. He could see that he was in trouble, that his life literally hung in the balance. He could see that he needed to find some sort of lift to get off of that cross. But what he couldn't see, like many people in our world today, what he couldn't see was his own brokenness and the brokenness of his life. 
What he couldn't see was how his sinful actions had separated him from God and landed him in this position on the cross in the first place. What he couldn't see was his need for forgiveness and for repentance. And what blows my mind as I think of this man on the cross, this criminal, is that literally the savior of the world is hanging just feet from him. Feet from him. And he is nothing but dead in his ability to realize that the answer that he has always longed for is right in front of him. He has longed for a life of fulfillment, of great pleasure, of purpose, and he has sought for it in everything that the world could possibly offer, and it has failed him at every turn. It has landed him in the spot that he is, and he is just mere feet from the Savior of the world, but so dead in his sin that he can't even sense that the hope he has longed for is right next to him. John MacArthur once used an illustration of this and of the situation that all of us find ourselves in the deadness of life because of our sin. He shared the story of being at a funeral where there was a mom who had lost her child. And as the child had died, the mother was in the front at the end of the service, still just cradling their child and pleading for their child, crying over it, pleading that it would come back to life. And John MacArthur noted as he watched this happen, as much as the mom pleaded and cried, the child could not respond. There was no life in it. The child was completely unable to hear the cries of its mother to see the tears streaming down her face or to feel the warmth of her touch. And John MacArthur made this note and said, this is the condition of hearts that have been hardened to the things of God in such a way that there is absolutely no ability to hear or to perceive the salvation that sits right in front of you. You see, the first criminal's response is a reflection of the response of every unrepentant heart towards God. Every unrepentant heart. I can remember a number of years ago where I was kind of astounded in uh, late high school, early college by some of the things that I had heard uh, and seen in the news uh, today. They wouldn't quite surprise me, but I can remember when uh, a number of years ago, uh, who was it? It was uh, Jesse Ventura, who was the governor of Minnesota at the time, um, how WWF guy gets elected. Although today I wouldn't even say that. That kind of crazy stuff happens all the time. But he gets elected to office. And he literally made this comment in the news that caught national headlines. And he said that religion is nothing more than a crutch for weak people who don't know how to get through life. And I thought to myself, wow, like that's bold. Like you literally would say that about people who, who, who understand their need for God. But he was so blind to the things of God as he saw it as nothing but a crutch. I can remember in college, uh, a professor of mine in my geology class who I've shared with you before was all about evolution, loved everything about it uh, to the death. And he made this statement in our class. He said, only delusional fools refuse to see what is plainly all around them. Now, if you really think about it, that is a very ironic statement. Can, Can I get an amen? But he said only delusional fools would refuse to see what is plainly all around them because he's looking at science and everything in the world and saying, can't you see that this isn't about God? And I'm like, are you crazy, right? Um, But today, 
people say all sorts of hateful things about God and about those who would follow God. But it doesn't, shouldn't surprise us. Romans 6.23 tells us this very simply. The wages of sin is death. And that death is not just physical death, but it's a spiritual death. The wages of sin not only brings about physical death, but a death to our spiritual sensitivities. It affects those who have no desire for God, but it also affects those who claim to follow God and yet live worldly lives. Have you ever noticed, Christian, that the more we give ourselves over to sin, that our spiritual sensitivities begin to die? that all of a sudden the things of God start to not quite matter as much as they used to? It's because the wages of sin is death. It brings death. And if not for the grace of God, which beckons us to awake from our sleep, there would be no hope for mankind. And this is the position that the first criminal on the cross finds himself in. He knows that he has a need. But the difference is, is that the only saving he desires is the kind that will return him to his former way of life. He wants off of that cross so he can do life his way. And so he says that his salvation is, Jesus, save yourself and us. Get us off of this tree so that we can continue to do life the way we want. There's a stark difference between him and criminal number two. Take a look at the second criminal with me. In Luke chapter 23, verse 40, the second criminal now speaks after the first one has hurled insults on Jesus. The second one says this. He says, but the, others, the other uh, criminal rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Like, it's interesting. He looks at this other criminal and goes, like, do you not see the situation you're in? It's the same as his. Have you no fear of God? Like, what is wrong with you? And what it appears is that for the second criminal is that his own sense of mortality has shaken him in some sense to his senses, that it's woken him up. And that's your next fill-in. It appears that his own sense of mortality has shaken him to his senses. You know, I believe that we understand something about this from our own personal experience. I remember back when uh, 9-11 happened a number of years ago, and those two planes flew into the uh, World Trade Towers, and all of the people that died, and what happened in our country at that time, there was this incredible fear that shook us about what is going on. And who's attacking us? And how is this going to affect our way of life? And, and, and it may possibly mean that I might lose my life. And what did you see happen that day? Do you remember? All of these senators and people from the House of Representatives, these congressmen, come together on the steps of the Capitol to do what? Pray. Pray. Isn't that ironic? Many of them with no relationship with God. At that time desperately desiring to get God out of our schools and God out of the public life, all of a sudden when they see their own mortality drop to their knees to pray. Damar Hamlin played safety for the Buffalo Bills. You guys probably heard this story that happened not long ago, but as he was playing against the Cincinnati Bengals, took a vicious hit to the chest with the helmet and he fell to the ground and his heart stopped. 
And if you remember seeing this in the news as he lay there on that field, this is something we had never witnessed, especially on TV before. He is literally dying and his entire team is out on the field and everybody's crying. People are rushing to him, providing CPR, desperately trying to get his heart restarted out on the field. And what happened? What did people do? They prayed. When life hung in the balance, people who want nothing to do with God drop to their knees and say, I can't do anything. Is there anybody who can? People on news networks who sit and lambaste God began to ask us to pray. The pandemic hits. And we hear reports coming out of places like Wuhan and places like Italy, and it's coming to the United States that people are dying at incredible rates from this virus that is spreading across the globe. And it strikes fear in our hearts, and we begin to see people that we love that are dying. Hospitals are filling up. We close everything down. We go into our homes for a place of protection because all of a sudden we're deathly terrified to lose our lives. And what do we do? What do people do? They prayed. All of a sudden, people who want nothing to do with God say, I have no hope. I might as well look up because there must be a God that can help me in this moment. You know, I find it interesting still, all of a sudden during the pandemic, people who showed up when it was convenient, only showed up to church when it was convenient, suddenly thought that it was absolutely sinful that the church might go online. I want you to think about that because it tells you something about the human heart. When we have a sense that our life is in a balance, all of a sudden God matters just a little bit more. And the truth is is that when we come to grips with our own mortality, it has the potential to awaken us to our senses and to come to a place of a fear of the Lord, to recognize his power and our weakness and our need for him. It's the reason that the age-old question, when you go witnessing, I can remember as a young boy going witnessing with my father when he was helping to start a church in downtown Long Beach when I was like in second or third grade, we would go door to door and when we would get invited into people's homes, one of the first questions that they would ask them is, if you were to die tonight, do you know for certain what would happen? This question is asked because when we have an understanding of our mortality, it, there is this natural fear of like, I don't know what'll happen and, and I don't have control over that and I need help. This man that is on the cross, it appears that his mortality has been shaken and that God has used it to bring him to Because Then we see this, is that next villain, he also has come to grips with his own personal sinfulness and he recognizes that his sentence is actually fair and just. When we look at Luke chapter 23, the very beginning of verse 41, and I'll I'll just read the end of verse 40 again, it'll make more sense. He says and rebukes this other criminal and says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And then he says, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. In other words, we are justly under condemnation. We deserve what we are getting right here in this moment. We did the deed and we are paying for what we did. We're receiving the due reward of our deeds. You know, as we talked about in our last series, as we went through the Ten Commandments, we often like to go through life thinking that we're not really as bad as, as some people might say we are. Our, our sin isn't as bad as other people, and somehow that makes us better. If we didn't break one of the biggies, and we think to ourselves that I'm good. I'm really not that bad. But let me ask you a simple couple questions this morning. Really easy. Raise your hand. Everybody here. Answer honestly. Promise I won't embarrass you completely. Number one, 
How many of you have lied at any point in your life? Raise your hand. Work with me here, people. Raise that hand. If you're not raising your hand, you are a liar. Come on. All right. What do you call someone that lies? They're a liar. How many of you have stolen something at any point in your life from childhood to today? Who has stolen something that they weren't supposed to take? It doesn't matter if it was the cookie from the cookie jar. What do you call someone who steals? A thief. Right, good. Work with me here. Next question. How many of you at any point in your life have put anything before God? Me. What do you call a person that puts something in their life before God? In the Bible, an idolater. We're a room full of liars, thieves, and idolaters. And what does scripture say? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I know some of you are sitting there going, I didn't hear liars, I'm in the clear. I'll tell you what I tell my kids on a regular basis. Revelation 21, eight says, liars go to hell. Okay, next. <laughs> when you think about that though, it encapsulates all of us. And Romans 3.23 tells us what? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here's the problem. The biggest problem is that we refuse to see and to admit our brokenness. Whether you are not a follower of Jesus Christ or whether you are, all of us struggle with the same thing, which is to confess and to admit that we are broken people desperately in need of a savior. And it is the single thing that keeps God from transforming our lives. We literally hold him at an arm's distance when we will not admit our brokenness and do not, and we keep him from being able to change our hearts and our lives. And oftentimes, this is driven by our own fear of what will people think if they find out that I'm broken. But even more, it is driven by a pride. And it is Satan's tool to keep us from God. But I want you to see this morning what happens when a person surrenders their brokenness to God. This criminal, as he hangs on the cross with his life in the balance, his senses, senses fully aware of his need for salvation, far beyond just getting off of that cross, comes to grips with the fact that he deserves everything that he is getting. He admits his brokenness, and then, in a moment of clarity, next fill-in, he professes his clear belief in Jesus and his righteousness. When we look at this, we see Luke 23, 41b, it says this, but this man, he says, has done nothing wrong. We deserve this, but this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. Now, the, the Bible doesn't tell us what led this criminal to, this, this, to make this claim, to come to this understanding. How did he know that Jesus had done nothing wrong? Maybe he had been there lingering in the back of the crowds, hearing Jesus' incredible teaching and realized there was something different about him. Maybe at some point in his life, he had been there when Jesus had healed the lame, caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lepers to have their skin completely healed. Maybe he had witnessed this and he knew this about Jesus, that there was something different. Or maybe he was friends with some of the sinners whom Jesus cared about, who Jesus loved and went to their house and had fellowship with them and ate a meal with them. 
Or maybe it was just simply his witnessing of the unbelievable grace of Jesus as he hung on a cross, his executioners, those hurling insults, and how the first words out of his mouth were, God, please forgive them. The Bible doesn't tell us what it was. But what we do know and see is that this man, whatever his experience was, is that he knew in his heart that Jesus was innocent, that Jesus had been set up, and that he was completely righteous and undeserving of the death that he himself deserved. And what was his response? He calls on the name of Jesus for salvation. Luke 23, 42 says that he looks at Jesus after having rebuked this other criminal, proclaiming his own sinfulness and Jesus' righteousness, and he looks at Jesus in the eyes and he says, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He doesn't have the benefit of hindsight that we do, right? He doesn't have the benefit to understand how the story plays out, that three days later, Jesus raised from the grave, that he died on that cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be reconciled to God and experience immediate salvation in and through Jesus Christ when we place our faith and our trust in him. He doesn't have that beauty of hindsight, but all he knows is that he is a man that is in desperate need of God. And he knows that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the righteous one that has been sent by God. I believe that his very words reveal that he knew in his heart that Jesus was the Messiah sent from God. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he doesn't know, any, he doesn't know when Jesus is coming into his kingdom. And he, I believe that he's hoping that Jesus will remember him because in this request there seems to be a sense of hope but also a sense of fear. Maybe he will remember me. Oh, I hope that he will remember me. And the truth is I've encountered a lot of people in this life who really question whether or not they're saved and whether or not Jesus will really remember them. I've heard pastors, many different pastors say it this way. So there are four different types of people in life and we all fall into one of these categories. That there are those who are secure in their salvation but unsure if they are saved. There are people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, but because of their struggle and sin, their lack of understanding about who God is, they live their life in fear and with doubt of whether or not they are actually saved. There as well are those who are sure of their salvation, but truly are unsecure. The Bible tells us there are many people that will one day stand before God, and he will look at them and say, away from me, I never knew you. Because maybe they went through the motions, but they never really surrendered their heart to the Lord. Maybe they prayed a prayer of salvation, but they never truly gave their heart to the Lord and just lived their lives for themselves. There are those who are sure, but unsecure. Then there's a third group, those who are unsure and unsecure. All those who have never placed their faith in Jesus Christ, if you were to ask them, if you were to die tonight, what would happen? And what would their response be? The response I heard 99.5% of the time with my dad as a young boy going door to door. I have no idea. I'm not sure what would happen. They are unsure and they are completely unsecure. But then there are those as well that are secure and sure. That they know that Jesus died on the cross for their sin. They have surrendered their heart and they have assurance that one day they will be with him. The second criminal here gives us a very clear understanding of the gospel if you really think about it. And he helps us to understand the position that we can have as those who are secure and sure, even as he asks this question with a sense of unassuredness. 
There are three questions that in this criminal's life as we read it right here in just these few words that give us this understanding of the gospel of how we can be secure and sure. The first question that we wrestle with is this, do you see your need for God? You see, this criminal, as he was on this cross, knew that he was guilty of sin, that he deserved everything that he was getting, and he knew that there was a need in his heart for salvation. He saw his need as an individual. The second question he helps us to understand is, who do you believe Jesus is? As he hung on that cross, in his heart, he knew that Jesus was the righteous one sent by God. He knew and believed in his heart that Jesus somehow is the one that could provide that salvation. He believed that he was righteous, and he professed it with his mouth. And thirdly, it begs us to ask the question, have you asked him for the gift of his grace that he freely offers to you? You see, as he understands his need... And he sees who Jesus is. It evokes a response of Jesus. Will you remember me? Will you save me? Not will you get me off of this cross, but will you save my life eternally? And in this moment, as his life hangs in the balance and he cries out for God to save him, in this greatest moment of suffering that Jesus has, Think about all that he's going through. Like we would want nothing to do with somebody trying to ask of something from us, even talk to us in that situation. And Jesus' greatest moment of his suffering filled us in. Jesus demonstrates the depth of his love and his power to save. In the greatest moment of his suffering, Jesus demonstrates the depth of his power, his love and his power to save. Jesus' response to his request is this in verse 43. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I wanna break those words apart. And I want you to understand the truth of the gospel that is found within them. The first thing that Jesus says is truly, I say to you, in other words, you can have complete 100% confidence in exactly what I am about to say to you. And what is that confidence that you can have? That the moment that you surrender your heart to Jesus and ask him to save you, it is done. You don't have to earn favor with works. It's not about how long you've been in the church or how good of a person you've become or how little sin you do. The criminal on the cross confessed his sin. He was given confidence and he died with full assurance of his salvation. He didn't have to go spend a certain amount of time in church, clean up his life, get everything right, make sure that he was baptized, there wasn't any water around. He hung on a cross. He died just a few seconds after these words were spoken to him. But when he died, he had the full assurance because Jesus said, truly, I say to you, today, Today, this is gonna be an immediate response. Today, in your notes, your salvation and inheritance are immediate. Have you ever asked yourself this question, what happens when I die? There are a lot of people who ask this and there are many responses in our culture. In Catholicism, people will say that, you know, when you die, you go to purgatory. You know, it's that place you go because you still got a little too much sin in your life. It needs to be paid for with a little bit of fire, you know, a little something to burn it out so you can be holy enough to be with God. So you go to a place of purgatory where people back on earth maybe too can do some nice things to kind of help you get out of there a little bit quicker. That's one belief that people have. 
There's another belief that people have, even the Christian church, is the idea of soul sleep, that when you die, your soul just literally sleeps until Jesus comes again. It's like this weird form of complete death for a time where you don't experience anything, you're not aware of anything, but then all of a sudden Jesus raises you. Interesting thought. There's another one that's completely unchristian that some people believe in annihilationism, which is when you die, you just cease to exist. And what Jesus does with these words that he speaks, truly I say to you today, is that he blows all of these ideas up. He says, I have good news for you today, and Jesus makes it abundantly clear today, not tomorrow, not next week, not years from now, but today, what? You will be with me. Immediately. When you close your eyes on this earth, you will go to the very presence of God. You will be in that moment fully reconciled to God. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to die so that you could be reconciled fully to God. So that when he looks at you, That he doesn't see your sin, but he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Jesus paid it all. Where you were once separated from God because of your sin, you are now considered to be his dearly loved child. 2 Corinthians 5.21, the apostle Paul says this. He says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What is that saying? It's saying very clearly that when Jesus came and died on the cross, he took your sin and my sin on himself. He paid the penalty for our sin. And when he did so, he paid that price. And he paid that price so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your past flaws and all of the bad things that you've done. He doesn't even look and see the things that you're doing or the things that you will continue to do in the future. What does he see? The righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, which is yours because of your faith and your trust in him. And it's not that you will live a perfect life that will somehow earn you that. It is given to you freely. And our response to that beautiful gift is one of following and seeking to honor God with all of our hearts and lives. You will be with me. You will be fully reconciled. Truly, I say to you, today your salvation and your inheritance are immediate. You will be with me where? In paradise. And heaven, my friends, is real and it is forever. When we receive that gift of salvation from God, we can have full assurance that one day we will go into the very presence of God and it will be eternal, far from removed from the sinfulness and the brokenness of this world, finally and fully experiencing the fullness of everything that God has always desired for us, that we have sought in the things of this world and never found. This passage begs us to ask this question. What salvation are you looking for? What salvation are you looking for? Is it the salvation of the first criminal on the cross? Who his salvation that he wanted was just to get away from his circumstances that were painful and difficult? He just wanted somebody that could set himself back on the life that he was already living? His words were, save yourself and us. Just get me out of this place. What salvation are you looking for? Are you looking for an easy out from the difficulties of life so that you can go on your own way? Or are you looking for the salvation that was provided to the second criminal who uttered the words, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom? Do you see the beauty of the gospel message here? 
He saw his need and his desperate situation. He believed and said it with his mouth who Jesus was, the righteous one sent from God who had the power to save. And he called on the name of the Lord to be saved. And it was given to him immediately. That is the salvation that Jesus extends to you. And that we see in the words, the second phrase that he speaks from the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Father, you are such a good God. We do not deserve what you've given to us. For the things that we have done, but as we consider them, Lord, and we come to an understanding of who you are, it drives us to a place of desperation, knowing that we need you to save us. And so, Lord, would you move in our hearts today to cry out to you as this criminal on the cross so that we can receive that assurance of salvation? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, we continue in a spirit of prayer together. I believe that there are people here this morning that have never made that decision to put their, their faith and their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And my prayer this week, this morning has been is that the Lord would bring you to a place where you would be awakened and that your senses, as you think about your own mortality and the failure of this world to give you what you've been looking for, is that God would bring you to your senses to the place where you see your need for him but recognize that not just that you would see your need for him, but that Jesus is the holy righteous one that was sent from God to die on a cross to pay the penalty for your sin so that you could be restored in a relationship with God and find what you have been looking for your entire life. It is the greatest act of love that you will ever experience. And he offers you that gift of grace and that assurance of salvation today. And if you'd like to make that decision to give your heart to the Lord again with every head bowed and every eye closed, I would just invite you to pray this simple prayer after me. There's nothing magical about the prayer, but it is a commitment of your own heart. And if you know you wanna make that decision today, just pray these simple words with me. Jesus, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I know that I have sinned against you and that I am in desperate need of a savior. I believe God that you sent your son Jesus, the only righteous one into this world to die on the cross for my sin, to pay the penalty for my sin so that I could be restored in my relationship with you. I choose today to place my faith and trust in you as my personal Lord and savior. And I pray Lord that as I walk with you that you would continue to grow me in my understanding of who you are and the yielding of my heart and my life to you. And I thank you from your word this morning that I can have complete assurance that I'm a child of God. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I would just ask you as a way to commit and to say, yeah, I made that decision today before the Lord and I have prayed that prayer 
We had two people this morning in our first service pray that prayer this morning. I just ask you, if the Lord has moved in your heart to pray that prayer this morning, would you just quietly, as every head is bowed, just slip up your hand as a way to say, the Lord has spoken to me this morning and I'm surrendering my heart and my life to him. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray over these two individuals who have raised their hand in the service. And Father, I thank you just for the surrendering of their heart and their life to you. God, I pray that you would continue to walk with them, that you would continue to teach them, but help them to be overwhelmed by the depth of your love for them and to realize, God, that you have everything that their heart has been longing for when they will trust and yield themselves to you. But I also recognize this this morning, there are many people here who have also placed their faith in Jesus, but you find yourself in that position. Maybe some of you thinking that you are sure that you have salvation, but you might be unsecure. You might be in that place of wrestling even, of being secure, but unsure if you have that salvation. You've looked at your life. You know that you've been wrestling with sin. You know that there are things that have caused even your own spiritual sensitivities to be deadened because you've given yourself to the things of the world rather than pursuing Christ. And this morning, I wanna give you a chance to commit again your heart to the Lord and to say, God, I admit my brokenness. There are things in my life that I need to get right with you but I want today to be the day where I take a firm stand and say that I give my all to you. If God is speaking in your heart this morning and you know that that is what he desires, I'm gonna invite you as a way to move past our fear and our pride to just quietly as every head is bowed to raise up your hand and say, Jesus, I hear you this morning and I confess my brokenness and I desire for you to change my heart and my life. Thank you, Jesus. Let me pray over you. Lord, I thank you that your spirit moves in our heart in such a way that we would respond to the incredible goodness of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I thank you for these individuals this morning that as they raise their hand, make that confession before you to say, I admit my brokenness and I need you. I need something to change, Father. So I pray this morning that you would meet them exactly where they are at. Father, that they would feel the incredible warmth of your love, the beauty of your grace. And that, Father, they would begin a new journey with you today of yielding their heart and their life to you. Whatever this area is that they have been struggling with surrendering to you, give them freedom. And I pray in the name of Jesus that the chains that have bound them would be broken and that your spirit would have freedom to move in their lives. And that, Lord, you would begin a new work and a new journey in their life with you today and help them to feel the incredible joy that comes from that right relationship with you. Father, we thank you for how you are moving and shaping and working in our lives. And we pray that you alone would receive all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
like a hurricane, I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. When all of a sudden I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. Yeah, he loves us. Oh. 
give some glory to the Lord this morning and praise his name together. God is good. God is so good. You know, this morning, if uh, you prayed to receive Christ, there were a couple of you that prayed to receive Christ this morning. And some of you that said, you know, I just need to be broken free from this brokenness in my own life. Can I encourage you to do one of a couple things? Our prayer team is here this morning. I would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. Would you feel free to come and just share what is going on in your heart and your life. They would love the opportunity to pray with you or if there are other prayer needs that you have, they would love to do that. But especially if you're one of the couple people that put your faith in Jesus this morning for the first time, would you do me a favor at minimum? Would you write your name on a connection card and a number and just drop it in the bucket and say, I made that decision today. I would love the opportunity to talk with you about your relationship with Christ and how I and we can continue to encourage you as you grow in that relationship with Jesus. One of the other great things that I want you to be aware of is that I believe one of the most important steps we take in our life when we choose to follow Jesus, whether it's immediately or we've been walking with Jesus for years is through following the Lord in baptism, making a public proclamation of our faith in Jesus. And on the last Sunday of April, April 30th, we're going to be having a baptism service. And I just want to tell you, if God is doing a work in your life, if you have received him as your savior and you've never been baptized before, we would love the opportunity for you to have that day where you can make that declaration publicly that says, I have chosen to put my flag in the ground that I'm living for Jesus and I'm walking with him forever. I would love for you to join us. If you've heard over the last couple of weeks on April 2nd, we have a class for kids that is starting that would like baptism, but we are also gonna be providing a class for adults that will start the Sunday after Easter on the 16th and it'll go for two weeks. If you are interested in baptism, write it on a connection card. We don't have it quite yet up on our app, but it will be this week. You can register for that class. I would love the opportunity to baptize you as you make that important declaration with the Lord. So mark that on your calendars that is coming up. And as you leave today, my friends, there are a lot of people in this world and in your circles that here need to hear this good news about Jesus. Four people gave their heart to Jesus this morning. And church... I believe that that number can grow exponentially if we will take the responsibility to share the good news of what Jesus has done with us, with the lives of others. And so today as you leave, grab those cards from our ushers, take them and invite your friends to come in Easter to hear the good news of Jesus because our deepest desire is that they would know him as their Lord and Savior. So church family, go out and serve the Lord this week with all of your heart, worshiping him in everything that you do because he has saved you. God bless you. Have a great week serving the Lord.